Hello and welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. My name is Kyle Banton-Jones and I'll be your host. The Wild Enrichment Podcast is a show about animal welfare, training, enrichment, and everything in between. Each episode, we will be exploring concepts surrounding behavioral husbandry and the ever-advancing field of animal welfare, from interviews with real animal care professionals to educational episodes about new concepts in animal care. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. Okay, uh, welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Today, I'm joined with Kelsey Rubia, and we are going to be talking about hiring and uh, how that works in the animal care industry uh, and in a variety of zoos. I want to do a couple episodes on this, so hopefully there'll be more hiring managers to follow. Uh, But Kelsey, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Um, so this is an important topic and one that comes up uh, pretty frequently because, uh, you know, it is it's we're in one of those industries that we're lucky enough. It's an awesome job. Uh, so and with awesome jobs comes a lot of competition to get in. And uh, um, there's a lot of nuance with hiring. So I thought it would be cool to sort of talk about it, uh, get some different hiring managers perspective. And uh, yeah. So do you maybe want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your sort of background in animal care and hiring? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I have been in the animal care industry, gosh, uh, 13 years, almost 14 years now. Um, I can't remember the years go by and I still am telling people, you know, I'm yeah. <laughs> at a different age than I actually am. So, yeah. uh, but essentially I, uh, I have a bachelor's of science in marine biology. I went to the university of the Virgin islands. Um, so shout out to them. Um, and basically I have kind of I started off as an aquarist and got an opportunity to work with sea lions in um, St. Thomas. And that's kind of where I really found my passion for animal training and behavior. So I would say that at this point in my career, that's kind of what my niche is. I'm currently um, uh, an assistant curator of uh, birds and mammals at an AZA accredited institution. Um, But I've lived all over the world training things from dolphins to um, crocodiles to Tasmanian devils. Um, I've lived in Dubai. I've lived in Singapore. I've lived in Australia. I worked at the San Diego Zoo for a while. Um, so I got a I got a good idea of kind of how the interview hiring process works because I think, gosh, I've worked at yeah a lot of facilities over my you, career. You can obviously get a job. So yeah. that's that's <laughs> yeah, many of them. Yeah, for sure. And it's just been a really cool opportunity to get to see, you know, the cultural differences that are involved and the nuances that are involved with um, resumes, cover letters um, and interview processes, not only here in the United States, but across the world. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, that sounds like an absolute wealth of knowledge that I'm sure people will benefit of uh, from. So uh, that's great. Um and I, I think we'll sort of break it down by, you know, we'll talk about resumes, cover letters, we're talking about interviewing, and then sort of, you know, once you're once you're in on these temporary jobs, uh, you know, how, how does that work and uh, the sort of ins and outs of that. Um, but before that, uh, you know, it, it's with any sort of competitive industry, um, there's always, uh, you know, talk of networking and talk of getting your foot in your door in the door and needing to know somebody. People focus a lot on resumes and cover letters, but how how important do you think it is to have uh, that foot in the door and to do networking and and stuff like that? I mean, I think networking is really important, um, but I I hear my mom right now in my ears saying uh, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Yeah. Um, 
And I think people miss the mark a little bit. I think I have missed the mark a little bit when I've attended conferences and been kind of that that thirsty girl who's like, I gotta, I gotta go talk to the curator of Georgia Aquarium. I gotta like get my foot in the door. When in reality, it's yes, those people are important to know because at the end of the day, they may be the decision makers. But what I've learned a lot is, you know, at a lot of these institutions, the teams have a lot of pull as well. So mm. You know, it's not always about knowing the top dog at an institution, but really kind of making a really meaningful impact on a member of the team can actually have more impact than you think it can. Um, so that's why I think, you know, networking is important. It's important to, to, you know, always put your best foot forward when you're, you know, trying at a conference or visiting another institution or even on social media. You know, I, I think we forget that social media is such a powerful platform these days that it's very easy to to accidentally do something on social media that may mm. be shooting yourself in the foot a little bit so just being really mindful of the fact that you know people can see that stuff and you know and they may make an they may make a judgment about you without really knowing the context in which you've shared that yeah. um, so in summary i think that Networking is important. It's not the end all be all. And it's definitely more about uh, quality versus quantity of people you network with. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time when people talk about networking and getting your foot in the door and knowing people, it's always in a negative light. But I don't think it, it needs to be because, you know, it's it's a it's an industry that's driven by passionate people. And if you're showing yourself as a passionate person that's you know willing to work hard and make the right decisions and put yourself out there, it can be a really beneficial learning process for you as well. And and you can you can learn so much. Uh, the more people you know, and the they're just they all have different experiences and different uh, you know knowledge bases. So uh, it can be a really positive thing, and it, it doesn't always have to be viewed as sort of you know like brown nosing the the this person to get a job. It, it, totally. It can, yeah, it, it's a it can be a positive thing, and I owe a lot of my career to you know uh, being that hardworking person that people remember and that people put forward, and and I I think it can be a positive thing, and I think it can be a lot of fun getting to know people in this industry as well. Oh yeah, I mean I have uh, I've only attended two IMATA conferences, but uh, they were both a blast. That's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't it doesn't have to be, you know, sending stuffy cold emails and, and stuff exactly. like that. Yeah. You know, and I think another thing about networking is, is that, you know, there's nothing wrong to when you're at, when you're at a conference like and I kind of use the analogy of like work hard, play hard, like letting people see who you are outside of work and that it's not just about like, oh, let me tell you about my resume and let me talk to you at nauseam about animal training, which I will do until I'm blue in the face yeah but like let's go have a beer together and let's talk about soccer because that's something else that i'm really passionate about or let's talk about my husband is from mexico let's talk about mexican food or like where have you gone diving in mexico have you been to a cenote is it beautiful you know yeah i think another really important component of networking is is actually like getting to know people and seeing if that hiring manager is a good fit for you just as much as you showing that hiring manager that you want that job. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I think that brings up a good point too. When you're trying to get to know people, when you are networking, you don't just want to be trying to take, you want to be also like giving as well. Because if you're just, if you're just asking for jobs and asking for 
for a bunch of different questions. It, it just you just come across it. it doesn't rub people the right way when you're doing that the entire exactly. conference or if you're doing that on LinkedIn or wherever you're doing it, you got, you got to be offering something as well. And, and yeah, yeah. Just being a, a decent person and, you know, having a conversation as opposed to an interview with somebody. Uh, yeah. So, so important for sure. 100%. Yeah. So, uh, you know, now that we've got that out of the way, we can sort of focus a little bit on resumes and cover letters. Uh, so as somebody that hires people, what are you sort of looking for in a resume and cover letter? Gosh, I think that this is such a complicated and dynamic question. And I think you could take a room full of 10 hiring managers and they're going to have, you know, different, uh, different answers for, for when they're hiring and what they're looking to, to hire for. Right. Um, but for me, the first first thing I look for is, do you have the correct information about the facility that you're applying to? I cannot tell you how many times I see a cover letter that is, dear Kelly. And I'm like, oh, it's Kelsey. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's going to make it make or break you, but it is a little note that I make to myself like, okay, well, they must be applying to a bunch of other facilities. They must just be wanting a job, not this job. And I think you have to remember, like, you know, at the end of the day, hiring managers are people too, and they like their ego to be stroked. So they <laughs> want to know that they want to feel like this is the facility for you. And, and this is, you're only applying to this facility. You only have eyes for us, right? It's like, yeah. like dating in a sense where when you start off dating, you're dating a lot of other people, but you know, everybody wants to be the only one, right? Yeah, yeah. So for me, when I see that, I'm like, oh. Um, so your cover letter and your resume needs to be addressed to the right people. Um, you need to be using appropriate punctuation. You need to say, hello, good morning. To whom am I concerned? Dear Kelsey, dear whoever. Like, um, those things are really important. And then that it's short, sweet, and to the point. Um you've read through the job description, you're hitting points in the job description that are mentioned. If the job description says, we're looking for somebody who loves diving, then you better mention that somewhere in your resume or you, or your cover letter. You know, usually every job description that's posted will have, you know, three or four things that they're really looking for. And those things should be things that you address either in your resume or in your cover letter. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think I think that's that's important too, especially with how easy it is to do research now. Like so easy. To whom it may concern is still appropriate, but go on LinkedIn or like just just do some research and if you can find that hiring manager's, you know, name and you know it's going to be that person looking over your resume and everyone else has done to to whom it may concern. Like that, that's just a, just an extra little thing in the back of their mind saying, oh, hey, they did some research. That's, that looks good, you know? And, and yeah, just look over the, cause yeah, it's hard when you're submitting a bunch of cover letters and resumes to actually get the right version to the right facility. Totally. It's a fair mistake, but like just take an extra second and, and look. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I just think, you know, and, and phoning a friend, asking somebody to read it over yeah. is always such a great idea too. you know, don't be afraid to. I mean, I always 
I mentioned my mom again, like I'll call my mom and dad and be like, Hey, can you guys read this over or my brother? And just be like, can you just look it over? And they're like, well, you forgot about this really amazing thing that you did or yeah, like, punctuation's a bit poor there. Or, you know, I think, and it's, it doesn't mean that what you've done or created is bad or wrong. It's just a different perspective from people who may have a different, ex different experiences than you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Do you have a sort of standout resume cover letter in your mind as one of the best you've ever seen or something that made that pop to you? Um, not really. I know I was kind of thinking about this leading up to, to this like podcast episode. Um, I think for me, there's a lot of different components that can make a resume and cover letter better. Um, than or like a, a higher level candidate um and i think what i do or my philosophy is i'm i'm looking at a cover letter to basically i want to know i'm going to read that cover letter and i want it to be a good idea of who you are yeah as a as a professional not necessarily as a person because that's what you save kind of the interview for but when i read a cover letter i want to be like i want to know who you are as a professional so i want that to outline like okay, you're applying for um, an Aquarius job, you know, and it's an Aquarius job that involves diving and doing public presentations. It's like, okay, well, then I want to know that you're passionate about educating the public. Um, maybe you're working, maybe it's also an Aquarius job where you're at an AZA accredited facility. So I want to know if you have AZA experience. I want to know what your conservation background is. Like, I want to know uh, do you have any animal training experience? What's your experience with enrichment? Like if those are things that are listed in the job description, the cover letter is an opportunity for you to talk about what you enjoy about the field as a professional. Right. And so for me, I want to see a little bit of you. I, anybody can write, type out a longer sentence version of their resume. Yeah. To me, when I read a resume and when I read a cover letter, they should be sharing similar information, but in different ways is how I see it. Right, right. And out, out of curiosity, you know, if 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 people are putting like links to stuff they've done or links to their like LinkedIn page or or stuff like that, are you are you clicking on those things? Are you doing extra research on those or or are you just looking at the resume and they're there, there's too many of them, I don't have time. I gosh, such a good question. Um you know, I think <clears throat> entry level keepers get confused and bombarded with the fact that, oh, well, you don't have enough experience. I think I hear my curate, one of my curators in my head right now, literally, because we used to do interviews and we would be like, well, there, I, I don't know. They're a no. And he would go, well, why are they a no? And we would say, well, they don't have enough experience. And he goes, okay, well, as per the job description, we are hiring for a keeper with one year of experience. They right. have one year of experience. So it's not fair to them to just go, well, you don't have enough experience because that's not the reason, the real reason why I'm turning you down. The real reason why I'm turning you down is you probably said something in the interview or you didn't convey yourself in the way that we wanted to fill, fulfill this role. Um, so I think entry-level keepers are getting like all this mixed up information of, you know, put more, put more, put your LinkedIn, put a picture of yourself, put mm. 10 references. And I kind of, come from the school of less is more. Like I said yeah. before, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. And if it means that you have only one animal job, I would much rather you 
put your one animal job and then you put the fact that you're a bartender. Why are you not putting that on your resume? If I'm right. hiring for an ambassador keeper job, gosh, your bartending experience is going to come in real handy because I know that you're going to be able to put up with angry guests, complaints. Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to work under pressure. So I think people are getting this idea that, well, if it's not animal experience, it's not relevant. And I really want to tell them that if you're an entry-level keeper and you only have one year of experience, put that teaching job on your resume, put that bartending job on your resume, put the babysitting gig on your resume, because yeah. it shows me that you're committed, you can hold down a job, and that you have other relevant experience. And it also shows, shows me that you have like a decent work-life balance, that animals aren't your like end-all yeah. be-all. Um, so that was kind of an awkward all around way of answering that question. But, um, you know, I, I, I think, yes, if the links are there, I click on them, but I don't put links on any of my resumes. I think once you get past having one or two jobs that are animal experience, you don't need that stuff anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And, uh, and I think as well, like if you're going to put the stuff that doesn't, that maybe on paper doesn't exactly look like it, it relates directly to your job. Make sure you're you're telling the person that's looking at your resume how it can relate to your job. You know, mm -hmm. like put the fact that as a bartender you talk to you know a thousand people a night, and exactly you know, don't just say I know how to make a, a sweet margarita. Like that doesn't that might be great for the workplace, <laughs> but it's not it's not I mean, important. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point. But uh, it, it, do you think there's a are there like some mistakes or like sort of red flags that jump out at you for common things that you see on resumes that you're just like, why, why do people do this? Like what, why pictures, mm. why are you putting, why are people still putting pictures of themselves on resumes? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something, but I, I think for me, pictures and poor formatting mm. are the two things that I am. I'm just like, Oh, you didn't take like the five seconds to just, format this properly um when there's like mismatching fonts or like there's too much spacing um it kind of just that to me shows me that you lack attention to detail um and i think i i will let a grammatical error slide or i'll even let like yeah. you having the wrong facility name slide because it's just like okay well you yeah you probably were nervous. You're probably sending out a lot of resumes. I understand. I get it. I was there once. But when you have a resume that's like five pages long and you only have one year of relevant animal experience and your formatting is just poor, I'm like, okay, you, it just kind of makes me fill in the gaps of maybe you don't have the attention to detail I'm looking for. Or maybe you don't know how to work like in a team or ask for feedback. You get really worried about that. And for me, I mean, animal training is my passion and I will be an animal trainer probably till I die. You know, feedback is a really important thing. Like we give feedback to each other at nauseum. You know, mm -hmm. it's there's a saying in the animal training industry that's like, you know, the only two things that uh, the only one thing that an an two animal trainers can agree on is that the third one's doing it wrong. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't promote that culture on my team, but it is something that like I, you know, I hear about. So 
being able to take feedback and asking people for advice on your resume, I think is a really important or cover letter is a really important skill to, to have and being open to that constructive criticism. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, you know, even as a zookeeper, it's the 21st century, like you got to know how to use a computer and how to get some formatting, right? Like you've been using Microsoft Word since you were in high school, like, totally. you know, make it look nice. And if you don't know how to make it look nice, go on YouTube, figure out how to make it look nice or just get a template because they have templates on Word, like yeah. on Google Sheets or whatever. Like it, it, you know, yeah, there's no excuse to have a, a resume that looks completely whack and and yeah i've never i've never heard of people putting pictures on there that's that oh, seems like a crazy thing to do it's very common yeah less less so in like the higher up jobs but in the entry level like thing and i and i think it really is that 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 like mentality of you know quantity versus quality like yeah if i need to just fill up the paper and it's like well but no, you don't you actually yeah. don't need to fill up the paper and and it's okay like you're 22 years old it's okay to not fill up the paper you know yeah. I mean, um and i think sometimes as as hiring managers we are doing a disservice to this like younger generation who's just like so hungry and so thirsty to be here because we're like well we want more experience and it's sometimes it's it's like well we want we don't want more animal experience we want more life experience um, and so there's nothing wrong with putting that bartending gig, that teaching mm. gig, that babysitting gig, because it shows me that you're an adult and you can hold down a job and you're responsible and you're committed and you're going to show up on time and you're going to be yeah. professional. And those are all such important qualities. I can teach anybody to be a good animal trainer mm -hmm. if they're willing to learn. Right. Yeah. But, but can you fundamentally teach people to like be committed or be on time or yeah be organized no those are those soft skills are so much more challenging yeah and it's also a waste of an institution's time to totally when there's people lining up the door like if you if you were doing these things that you should have your your parents should have told you about when you were a kid like it you, you know you just can't it's just a waste of time for an adult job you know like it, like yeah those are those are skills that you you have to have you know yeah yeah for sure no, those are those are good points. Um, yeah, so maybe we can. So you got your resume in, got accepted. You didn't put a picture on it because you're a smart person, <laughs> and you got an interview. So you know, people going in into an interview. What are sort of general things uh, people should know going in an interview and for a starting keeper position? Oh gosh. Uh... Well, I think we talked about this a little bit before, but I really think doing your research is paramount. Um, I can't tell you the amount of interviews that I go into and people have no idea what they've gotten themselves into. Um, and I think that's a really big thing. And and I think, you know, this, this industry is is a passion project in a lot of ways, right? We all know we're not going to be millionaires and um, wait, we may never even own houses. You know what I mean? Like I'm married to another animal trainer. So we're like, oh gosh, this is rough. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think um, just making sure you do your research on a facility because you should be asking yourself. And I think that's why, like, you know, I mean, I know that the mental health thing is, is just, 
insane at the moment. And I'm a huge advocate for work-life balance and, and I've had my own journey with mental health. And, um, but I really think a lot of it too is, is that you need to ask yourself, is this facility a good fit for me? Like, am I being hired? Am I interviewing with Kelsey? And gosh, she got sidetracked so many times that I don't know if I want to have a boss like that because I'm an A-type person and she seems like she's, you know, way too laid back for me. Maybe she's not going to be able to give me the directive that I need in my job to be successful. So, and I think asking questions like that are so important too. So, um, that's kind of my first, like first blanket statement is making sure you do research on the facility that you're applying for and making sure even printing out the job description when you go to an interview or if it's a phone interview and making sure you read that over and go and asking questions based off of that. Okay. So you mentioned um, that, you know, there's, there's dangerous animals. What does that look like? Do you, do you shift as, as is it one person working with those dangerous animals or is it two people or is it three people? What are your protocols and procedures for that? Because for me, I, I know for a fact that I would, it would be very challenging for me to go to a facility and work as a one person shifter with dangerous animals. Um, so that's something that I want to know if they've listed dangerous animals. One of my first questions is going to be like, what's your, what does this look like? Can you walk me through your shifting process? So I think having a list for yourself of like what your deal breakers are and what is really important to you and not just worrying about like saying something wrong because we're all human yeah. and you're going to say something wrong because you're a person with feelings and emotions and thoughts and foibles. Yeah. So, yeah, no, and and I think recognizing the fact that the people like this isn't a comfortable process for really anybody. No, exactly. Like, like your interviewers probably aren't I'm like sitting there. I'm anxious when I'm interviewing people. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, and like you want people like I, I I get terrible secondhand embarrassment. Like I if if I want to make sure like I want them to do well, you know, and like it's an awkward situation, and and everybody's a little nervous, and it's just like you know, it's not just like casual small talk. It's you know, you're you, you're expecting them to answer all these sometimes very in-depth questions and uh, yeah. And it's, yeah, there's people on the other side and, you know, and that, that sort of brings me to my next question, which was, you know, one of the things I hear most often by people that have done a lot of interviews and maybe not done so well is that they're bad interviewers, quote unquote, and they get super nervous and are just, you know, not that type of person that's naturally sort of going to walk into the interview and, and and crush it. What what sort of do you have advice for people like that or, you know, anything to think about going into an interview? Um, I think practice. I know that it feels really uncomfortable, but I I'm like a mad extrovert. I think anybody who knows me very well will be like, Kelsey's a people person. Gosh, she's so charismatic, blah, blah. I am not a good public speaker. Like if you give me a script and I have to do a show, I I'm like, what? I've never seen an animal before in my life. Yeah. And I just think practicing, it feels weird. It feels uncomfortable. But if you really do the prep work leading up, it's like anything you feel prepared. And even when your body starts to tell you that, you know, flight response and your heart starts to get pounding, your palms are sweaty you know, because you've done the prep work and you've practiced, you are going to be able, your mind is going to be able to tell your body to chill out. Yeah. 
Um, I think another really big thing for me is, um, you know, nerves and anxiety is our body reacting to something that our mind is telling us. So there's nothing wrong with shocking your system, you know, bringing a cold uh, water bottle that you can hold in your hands and that helps ground you. And so you're like, okay, I'm feeling really anxious. I'm feeling really nervous, but the wa- the coldness is help shocking my system. So I'm not like leveling up. Essential oils are really helpful for me. I um, will bring like a lavender, like little rolly thing. And in the middle of the interview, sometimes I'll just be like, (laughs) yep. Okay. You know, just like, I know it's weird, but I think it, I think for me, if I can see that somebody is obviously nervous, but is trying to work through their tools in their tool belt, I'm like, wow, this person has an enormous amount of self-awareness. I can work with that. Yeah. Bringing a water bottle. Like I have my little coffee right here. It's like when I start to feel like I'm rambling. (laughs) Okay. A little sip of coffee. All right. Take a deep breath. Yeah. Having a notebook, writing things down in the interview, um, asking the interviewers to repeat the question always is a good way to buy you time. I think a mistake I see from people who are really nervous is, um, always being like, that's a great question. That's a great question. And, and it's, you know, trying to find some things to fill the space, whether that's writing it down, taking a sip of water, looking at your watch, you know, any scribbling on your piece of paper um, and practicing. I think those are the the most important things. And, and that's the thing is, is interviewing is, is a skill, just like everything else you're going to learn in a job and coming out and just like doing amazing in an interview. I I haven't done very few interviews where I felt like, wow, I nailed that. Uh, There's no way I don't get that job. You know, like a a lot of them, it's like, you're you're just thinking of all the stuff you could have done better, the, the better answer, the better, you know, it's the same with writing tests and exams and stuff in university. You're always thinking, oh, I should have said that. I should have done this. And, and I mean, try, try podcasting. When I'm editing these podcasts, all I, all I hear is myself saying words over again and making mistakes. And it's, it is what it is, you know, and we're all people don't, don't sweat it. And I, I think a really good way of practicing for an animal care interview is talking to people about animal care and trying to get them stoked about it, you know, because if if your passion isn't coming across in a regular conversation with another person, then it's going to be very hard to get that passion across to your interviewers. Totally. I you mean, know? you know, I think that you just made so many great points that, um, you know, you don't have to be obsessed with this industry or obsessed with animals like some of us maybe toxically are. I think if my husband yeah. was here, he'd be like, oh my God, girl, stop talking about animals. But that is something that, you know, this this is out of my comfort zone. But these are the kinds of things that no matter where I go, no matter what I do, whether it's with animals, with people, maybe one day I want to become a mechanic. I don't know, you know, but I will have these skills to navigate conversations that make me a little bit uncomfortable. Um, And I think that's something that when you talk about, um, you know, toxic workplace culture or whatever, those skills are things that people can never take away from you because you've practiced them and you've learned them. And I think 
putting yourself out there for interviews is such a great example of that, you know, and I think that there's nothing wrong in our industry as well with even though you're happy at your job and you're not looking for another job, applying and interviewing because it's totally you need to practice it just like every other skill. And so I try to find opportunities as well, even though my resume speaks for itself at this point that I get an opportunity to like this is an example. I have an opportunity to practice taking a deep breath, speaking eloquently, articulating my points so that when I do need that skill set in whatever, in a difficult conversation with my family, in a difficult conversation with my partner, I have those skills. Yeah. And I think I think that's important to just highlight, you know, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. And, you know, I like I, I started I started Wild Enrichment in 2018. And the first stuff I was putting out there, you know, I had my I had my like I was just covering my eyes the whole time. Every time I'd click publish or whatever I was doing, because it's just but now, you know, it is what it is. I, I uh, somebody messaged me the other day because I instead of assess, I, I wrote asses. In, a, in an article and it's been on my yeah, website for years and no one said anything to me you know stuff like that happens and don't be afraid to put yourself out there because you know the more you do it the the better you get at it and that the same as goes for interviews and podcasts or whatever you're doing so 100%. yeah do you have any last advice for people interviewing it's such a it's such an important skill is there anything else that comes to mind i mean i think the 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 biggest thing is, like I said, do your research um, and don't overthink it. I know that that's so challenging because like we just talked about, you know, you pub editing your, your podcast and being like, oh, God, that sounds terrible or whatever. But, you know, you, we think that people remember things the way that we remember them and everything yeah. in life is about perception. And so you may think that you completely tanked an answer in an interview and you may be having like debilitating anxiety over it. But the reality is, is that like I've moved on as a hiring manager. You know, I'm not sitting here reliving your foibles at yeah. night. I've got bigger fish to fry. So I think I really just want to hammer that down to people is, is that, you know, it's, it is a big deal and you should put your best foot forward 100%, but it's not the end of the world. And there's going to sure. be another job and you're going to excel at it. And it's disappointing and you're allowed to be disappointed if you think that you did a bad job. But I think asking for feedback is another big thing. Mm -hmm. The amount of times I see people with missed opportunities to send a thank you email or a follow-up email and say, hey, I'm real. be honest. I'm really disappointed that I was unsuccessful. And is there anything that that you can give me feedback on. Totally. Yeah. That's an outstanding point. Cause I feel like that's another one of those points of contention online. Like, you know, should I send a, an email? Should I not send an email? So no, it's, it's interesting. 100%. You should always send the email. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. Because it's just, all it's going to do is make that hiring manager go, wow, that person can receive like every hiring manager, what do they complain about the most? Oh, they don't take feedback. They don't listen, blah, blah, blah. So if you're sending a follow-up email to ask for feedback, I'm literally jotting you down in my notebook as like next job I have available. I'll probably reach out to you. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. If it was that close, why you were like unsuccessful or your interview wasn't that great, like, but you have the willingness to keep persevering and keep applying. That's awesome. No, that's, that's awesome advice. Yeah. That's uh, that I'm sure people will find that helpful. Yeah. Send the, send the email. And I, I think, I think it's a great, great point as well saying that you're not really worrying about like what they did in the interview. Cause I think everybody goes over in their minds, like all the stuff they should have said and uh, how they looked and, and all this stuff. And I remember in university, I had, I took a public speaking class because it was one of the list and it was either chemistry or that. So I took, I took this class and as, as part of our final assignment, we needed to do a presentation and they filmed it and then they played it back to you and showed you all the things that you did wrong in the presentation. And I, when I watched it back, it was horrendous, by the way, it was the, it was a terrible experience, but I was so surprised at how much different I looked in my head as opposed to when I was giving the presentation. I felt like when I was watching the video, it was like I was so confident. I wasn't stumbling over words like you. The way you probably perceive yourself, unless you've just got, uh, you know, your 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 mental side of things, you're just you, you know exactly who you are. Like it's going to be wrong. It's not as bad as you thought. It's, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's, it's, that's uh it's definitely a good point. Um, so these people, they crushed the interview. Now they're an intern. <laughs> yes. Good for them. Nice. It's a hard thing to do. It's congrats. So after you've pat yourself on the back for doing that, you know, what do you see as the most important quality in a seasonal keeper or a temp keeper, um, that, that you see that, that can help them become permanent. So this is like a paid like we're talking about people that I we're bringing on like seasonally that are being paid because I think it's really important to differentiate. Um, and I know that our, I, in my opinion, our industry does a poor job of this um, with differentiating interns paid versus unpaid mm. seasonal paid versus unpaid full-time entry level. Um, because I think that if you're talking about an, an intern interviewing, and getting an internship they're there to they are there to learn like exclusively i get it they're also there to you know help you out do your diets whatever but they shouldn't be you know i'm not, I'm not gonna swear but they shouldn't be the person that you're just throwing buckets at and washing yeah. your dishes. like you have they're there to help you and you have basically a duty to them to teach them so that's my opinion that's my two cents, my TED talk about interns and inter intern in interviews. But now you've moved on to a seasonal keeper. You're being paid to be there. Um, and I think the most important thing, you've gotten the job. You're there for a short period of time. You want to move into a full-time role because that's the dream of everybody. Is initiative and advocating for yourself. Um, I think it is extremely easy um, to get lost in the shuffle of, well, I'm training you how to clean the exhibits. I'm training you how to do the public presentations. You're on your own. And then what happens is you get to the end of your seasonal contract, whether it be three months, six months, maybe even a year, if you're lucky. And the feedback that you receive is, well, you didn't, you didn't progress the way that I would have wanted you to. And for me as a hiring manager, if that's my feedback to somebody, I always have to take a step back and ask myself, is that on me or is that on them? 
Did I give them the opportunities to be successful? Did I train them appropriately and they just didn't succeed? Um, but that's where I think I don't ever get irritated with my staff when they're like, hey, I know you're really busy, uh, but I would really like to work on this this week with this animal or this thing that I would really like to progress with. And I always have a really honest conversation with them if I think that they're not ready to progress or what's the reasons why. So I think not being afraid to, and you have to understand everybody has different communication styles. So for me, if somebody says something to me in passing, I'm never going to remember it. Right. But if somebody sends me an email, then I can put it on my to-do list. I can put it on my calendar. Or if I have my notebook out, I can write it down and then come back to it later. So I think if you're only there for a short period of time, making sure that you are able to complete the tasks you've been given, but then also searching for opportunities that maybe only the full-time staff do, but that you are kind of, you will be able to slot right into. Because I think sometimes people are like, well, I'm only a seasonal. I can't do this because only full-time staff members do this. But there's no reason just because only full-time staff members work sea lions doesn't mean you can't go to every single training session and learn the cues and criteria and understand the SDs and know how the program setup works and be able to do the husbandry behaviors as soon as you're hired as that full-time gig. That's where I think that's what you can, in my brain, you can do and be like, well, I already, I already know all the cues and criteria. So all I need to do now is be given the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's great because you know, you're, you're essentially like making yourself, I always like to think in, in, in these sort of situations as, you know, you, like you're, your your own brand and product, you know, and how you're working is your, is your product and becoming more valuable and, is it just makes sense for the institution to hire you at a certain point because they've invested so much and you've invested so much yeah. in learning how to be an employee at X institution, you know, and and I think that's super important. And and backtracking on your answer a little bit about, you know, creating that culture at an institution where you're sort of trying to nurture these people and train them to become a, as good of a zookeeper as they can be, you know, because I think that's one that gets overlooked a lot where it's it's just like oh this is just hired help and we're just gonna yeah make you scrub the sinks and then the dishes and and chop some veggies and and do that kind of stuff but yeah it, it it it's it's great to be able to take someone on under your wing and to because at the end of the day these are the people that you're gonna you might have to work with full time yeah so the better the better experience they have and and making sure it's a positive experience for them and investing in them is well it's exactly it why would i do more work like i've already i've already picked you to fill a spot so now and i think that's like the biggest advice i want to give to like temps or seasonals is is that yeah okay sometimes depending on the facility or the managers or whatever it might feel like you are hired help but also the reality is, is, is that they need you and they don't want to have to hire somebody else to fill the spot you're currently filling. So really the ball's in your court in a lot of ways, because for me as a hiring manager, like if I've brought you on temporarily, it's probably because I want you to be a full, like, I want you to be here permanently. 
or yeah. I or I think you're important for culture. You maybe you don't have the husbandry skills, but you're really great with guests. Or maybe you're you have great husbandry skills, but you're not that's great guests. Like I'm bringing somebody on temporarily to fill a gap in my team that I need filled. And usually most I mean I'm speaking from my own experience, but I don't see why other hiring managers wouldn't be like, well, I'm bringing you on part-time, but it's way less work on me if you can just, if I can just be like, and here's a full-time role. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, yeah, that's, I, I think that's super important to, uh, for facilities to sort of build that culture with their permanent staff uh, for when they have those people that need to get trained and, and those seasonal staff, because um, I think it just benefits everybody. Yeah. Is there a sort of common mistake that jumps out in your mind uh, with, you know, seasonals, temps, uh, interns, those kind of things that uh, that sort of jumps out as a really big mistake that you see people make? So I have one that is like in, I think, pretty much like across the industry. And then I have one that is like a personal Kelsey irritation. Um, so I think we just talked about, you know, being you know, being an advocate for yourself and having initiative, but I think being too thirsty <laughs> um, is how I want to refer to it <laughs> and confusing, co getting confused with passion and professionalism, like wanting to show your passion and commitment, but losing your professionalism. So, I mean, I see it in cover letters all the time where people are, they make a quote from like, I don't know, Jack Cousteau or, you know, like Sylvia Earle or somebody, some big conservationist. And I'm just okay. like, I'm like, that's great. You know who these people are. And I, I don't want somebody who just wants to hug animals. Like this is a real, like, this is a real career. Yeah. And I think that's where young keepers get confused and they want to show how, how passionate they are. But what I want to see your passion is, is how many scientific papers have you read? Do you know the natural history of, you know, uh, African wild dogs? Do you know what uh, Aust indigenous Australians call whatever animal? Like, you know what I mean? I, I Those are the kinds of things that are going to show me you're committed and professional and passionate. That you're yeah. constantly looking for more knowledge. Have you read Don't Shoot the Dog? Because that should be your Bible if you want to be an animal trainer. And if you haven't, you're like, but I love training animals and I want to get an opportunity and I want to do this. And it's like, okay, tell me the definition of operate conditioning then. You want yeah. to be an animal trainer? Like that's the kind of thing I see as a huge mistake. Um, and then the and and in kind of segueing to my personal uh irritation is um when people think that they're too big for something. Um mm. and they're like, well, I want I see it all the time with animal training. And I went through that. We all go through the terrible twos when we've had two years of experience and we're like, I want more responsibility. I want to have, I want to train more difficult behaviors. But the reality is, is that it, you need a mentor and you should, and you should be like, yeah, I've never trained a blood draw before. And yes, I need somebody who can mentor me. And but just because you're not training blood draws doesn't mean you're not an important member of the team and you're not getting opportunities to learn and to grow and to train. So a lot of times my temporary or interns will be like, well, when do I get to go up? When do I get to go work with the code red animals? 
And I'm like, when you can handle the tarantula, you know, like, and yeah. if you love animals and that's your jam, then you should love everything. It shouldn't just be the big charismatic megafauna. And that's what I want to see is, is, is that if you're only a year or two into the industry, yeah, you can have a favorite animal, but you can't be like, I'm an elephant person. Cause you don't know yet. I I thought I was always going to be a shark girl or a marine mammal girl. And then I worked with Tasmanian devils and they are by far my favorite animal. And now I'm a bird person, which if you had asked me that when I was 19 and I had to sit in the lorikeet Avery and feed the lorikeets, I would have been like, I'm a marine biologist. I want to do shark research. And now I'm, now I'm a bird girl. So yeah. not committing yourself to one thing. And then my other one is when you say are animals, when you no longer oh. work facility, it drives me insane because yeah. they're not your pets. No, this isn't, this isn't my dog boo. No, this is my yeah. dog. He's my dog. I yeah. take care of her. She belongs to me. I think when interns are like, well, our animals at the Michigan Zoo, I'm like, you mean their animals because you don't work there anymore. And you were there for three months and you were learning. And I understand that you probably had a great experience and it was awesome. But just being mindful that, you know, that they're not your animals. And yeah, that's, that's, that is one of my biggest pet peeves too. When, when people tell me, oh, I was working with my Jaguar. I was like, if it's your Jaguar, then take it home. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not, then if you can't take it home, then it's not yours. You know, like and it's totally. And I think that you can, I think that there's a way to show like your connection with the, I mean, I've got, I've got an entire yeah. sleeve of tattoos of all of my loves, right? Yeah. Like, these are all the important animals to me. They're right here on my body. Like I love them. And I think that there's a way that you can show your commitment and dedication and your love and your passion for the animals while still understanding that they belong to an institution and you, you have been hired because you are there to care for them and advocate for them. And you are a professional with expertise that people should listen to. For sure. And that's where like the anthropomorphism stuff, I try so hard to, that doesn't mean like I don't ball like a little schoolgirl when we have to put an animal down because I do, hey. I you yeah. know, get depressed just like the next person, but really trying to take that out of it. It then means when the, when the business makes a decision, you don't lose sleep over it because it's not your animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think as well, highlighting the need for professionalism because passion is great and everybody in this industry for the most part is very passionate oh but there's no doubt it's very easy to be passionate in your first year as a keeper it's harder to be passionate you got you have to have that backbone of professionalism in your 15th year because you know it there, not every day is sunshine and rainbows and not there's going to be things that are frustrating. It's, it's a job at the end of the day. Like there's going to be people that you work with that you don't get along with. There's going to be areas that you work in that you wish you were in X area and you have to work in this area. There's going to be managers that you don't get along with. You need to have that professionalism to lean on because if you're just looking to, to go into work every day and, and just, you know, be skipping and running around and just living your best passionate life, you're gonna, it's not always gonna be like that. And you have to, you have to keep that in mind and you have to have that sort of professionalism because yeah, it's, it's a career and this is, uh, 
you know, you're a professional animal keeper. You're not. Yeah. It, it's, it's so important to highlight that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it, that is so like hitting the nail on the head with, I think what even, you know, nowadays we're seeing so much of like the burnout and don't get me wrong. I mean, I've questioned leaving this industry numerous times throughout my career. I think we all go through those phases, but I think if you can hold on to the aspect of professionalism and understand that, yes, it it is a passion career for sure, but it is a job at the end of the day. And that doesn't mean that just because I say it's a job doesn't mean I don't care. Yeah. I understand how that could be perceived. And it's so important to be able to compartmentalize the two. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that for me, what's been helpful is the our animal thing. Like I just, I, I call them by their names. I'm like, this is Roger. And when I worked with Roger, this is what we did. Or when I worked with uh, red-tailed hawks at my old facility, like that's how I phrase everything. Or we had this vulture that I have tattooed on myself, but you know, we had this vulture at my old facility that I taught to do this as opposed to being like my vulture because he's not my vulture. And I think that if, when you start talking like that too, it makes it really hard to leave facilities when you're done. For sure. And that's something I want to talk about too. Like we talked about earlier is just, you know, making sure facilities are a good fit for you too. And there's nothing wrong with being like, Oh, I heard some red flags in that interview. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And, and yeah, and you gotta, yeah, you gotta be an advocate for yourself because, you know, as I mentioned, it, it's, it, you know, it doesn't sound great, but you are you, a product and a brand and you need to make totally. sure that it's not just a one way thing where you get to work at this facility, you know, they get to have you at the, at the same time. Like it's, it's a two way street. Uh, and yeah, you have to advocate for yourself because if you're waiting for someone else to do it, it might not happen. You yeah. Know? It's hey, yeah, it probably won't. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Unless you're, yeah. Unless you're working at a real, real diamond in the rough. Yeah. For uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was awesome. Do you have any sort of last minute, uh, resources or, you know, parting remarks or anything that you think people should check out? It doesn't have to be for hiring if you want to mention something else or uh, anything at all. I mean, I think, I mean, I have and anybody who knows me very well will be like, oh my God, Kelsey's library in her office is like filled with books and stuff. So, I mean, I think we've talked about a lot of really like great points back and forth and give people things, food for food for thought. But I think if there's anything that you are particularly interested in this industry um, is reading about it and putting yourself out there and and not using Facebook or maybe zoo creepers necessarily as your like end all be all for your research. Cause I know a lot of people nowadays get are like, oh, I posted it on social media. And it's like, yeah, but you know, there's probably some scientific papers that you could read too that are like peer reviewed and um, and I think that's what I would be my, would be my closing remark is, is that if you're really interested in this industry, then the only way that you're going to be able to continue to level up is, is if you're, you're looking for knowledge in those 20 down minutes of time or those 15 minutes of downtime at work. And that's things like reading, don't shoot the dog. That's things like 
reading the husbandry manuals of the animals you worked with, um, being involved in, um, you know, the tax tax on advisory groups. Um, if you can get involved in an SSP, like these things don't have to be just for people who have been in the industry 20, 25 years, like people like us can be involved in those things too. And we can share our experiences. And I think being a member of IMATA, um, ABMA, um, the AZAC groups in your like location, that's a really amazing way to network and meet people. Um, so I, I just would really encourage people to to do things like that, but also, you know, go mini golfing with your, with your team. Like, don't be afraid to, just because you're an intern or a seasonal or whatever to be like, Hey, there's this really cool thing happening tonight. Do you, is anybody interested? Because nine times out of 10 people will want to go. Uh, I know that I always end up going even when it's, you know, an intern that's invited me. And now you're having one-on-one -on -one time with a hiring manager. Like, yeah, that's because great. you initiated it. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there and, and and say hey i'm i play soccer are you interested in that i'm like yes i'm totally down yeah for sure no and i think that's great advice because you know uh especially about reading you know and getting involved in science and because this isn't zookeeping's not friggin cowboy town anymore you know it's not it's not just because you've you've wrangled a cow you can work with a giraffe now like there we're we're doing real science we're helping with conservation there's so many things going on in the industry and there's so many amazing people doing amazing research maybe in your own institution and if you're yeah. going into an interview make sure you know that because they're probably going to ask about it. So, and I, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's awesome advice and there's so much you can learn and you really, that's when you start to feel like you're doing something more than just maybe picking up poop because some people feel that way is when you're reading about that conservation work and when you're, you're seeing the research that's coming out of zoos and, and yeah, when you're, when you really get to see that science in action, I think it's, I think it's awesome. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think too, if you have an, have an opportunity to take a public speaking course, yeah or join an impromptu or imp improv class improv oh yeah wow an improv class <laughs> but uh if you are somebody who wants to be an ambassador keeper or marine mammal trainer or do sh a bird show those are all things that skills that you're going to need and if you're already doing them maybe where nobody knows you yeah you might be a little bit more comfortable <laughs> no for sure that's uh that's great yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much, Kelsey. That was uh, an awesome chat. I think that was a super useful resource for people uh, looking to get a job, looking to become a zookeeper. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Stay strong, people. You're going to get the job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed that episode of the Wild Enrichment Podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at Wild Enrichment on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. If you want to learn more about Wild Enrichment and see some of our great resources, check out www.wildenrichment.com. Also, if you wish to support Wild Enrichment, check out our Patreon. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers past or present. Thank you. Thank you.